0: chapters 22 to 25 of Darcy Bell by henry peterson this liver recording is in the public domain chapter 22 it will be remembered that squire Hathorne had directed that Darcy Bell's little horse should be handed over to the reverend master paris in order that it might be brought into due subjection this had pleased master paris very much in the first place he was of a decidedly acquisitive turn as had been shown in his scheming to obtain a gift of the minister's house and orchard and moreover if he was able to cast out the devil that evidently possessed this horse and make it a sober and docile riding animal it would not only be the gain of a very pretty beast but would prove that something of the power of casting out devils which had been given to the disciples of old had come down unto him in such a case his fame probably would equal if not surpass that of the great boston ministers increase and cotton Mather. goodman buckley had brought down the little mare the next morning after the examination the mare would lead very well if the person leading her was on horseback very badly if he were not except under peculiar circumstances she was safely housed in the minister's stable and gazed at with mingled fear and admiration by the family and their immediate neighbors Master paris liked horses and some knowledge of the right way to handle them and showed more wisdom in his treatment of this rather perverse animal of dulcibel's than he had ever manifested in his church difficulties he began by what he called a course of conciliation to placate the devil as it were how he could bring his conscience to allow of this i am not able to understand but then the mare if the devil were once cast out would be on account of her rare beauty a very valuable animal and so the minister twice a day made a point of going into the little passage at the head of the stall speaking kindly to the animal and giving her a small lump of maple sugar. Like most of her sex, Susanna, as Master Paris had renamed her, knowing the great importance of a good name, was very fond of sugar, and her first apparent aversion to the minister seemed gradually to change into a kind of tacit respect and tolerance, under the influence of his daily medications finally the wary animal would allow him to pat her neck without striking him with one of her front feet or trying to bite him and even to stroke her glossy flanks without lunging at him with her hind heels in an exceedingly dangerous fashion but spiritual means were also not neglected the meeting-house was very near and the mare was brought over regularly when there were religious services and fastened in the near vicinity of the other more sober and orthodox horses that she might learn how to behave and perhaps the evil spirit be thus induced to abandon one so constantly exposed to the doubtless unpleasant sounds to wit of psalm and prayer and sermon the horse is a very imitative animal and very susceptible to impressions both of material and a mental character and i must confess that these proceedings of the minister's were very well adapted to the object he had in view the minister had also gone further but of this no one at the time knew but himself he had gone into the stable on a certain evening when his servant john indian was off on an errand and had pronounced a prayer over the possessed animal winding up with an exorcism which ought to have been sufficient to banish any reasonable devil not only from the mare, but from the neighborhood as he concluded what seemed to be a huge creature with outstretched wings had buffered him over the ears and then disappeared through the open window of the stable the creature was in the form of a big bat but then it was well known that this was one of the forms which evil spirits were most fond of assuming the minister therefore had strong reasons for supposing that the good work was now accomplished and that he should find the mare hereafter a susanna not only in name but in nature a black lily as it were but of course this could not be certainly told unless some one should attempt to write her and he suggested it one day to john indian but john indian unknown to anybody but himself had already tried the experiment and after a fierce contest, was satisfied with his share of the glory. His answer was, "No, no, master, De Bill have no speck for Indian man. Master, he good man, gospel man. Devil afraid of him. Him too much for devil." This seemed very reasonable for a poor, untortured Indian. Mistress Paris too said that she was certain he could not succeed if any one could. The devil spirits would be careful how they conducted themselves towards such a highly respected and godly minister as her reverend husband. Several of her acquaintances, pious and orthodox godwives of the village, said the same thing. Master Paris thought he was a very good horseman, besides, and began to take the same view. There was the horse, and he was the man so one afternoon john indian saddled and bridled the mare and brought her up to the horse-block susanna had allowed herself to be saddled without the slightest manifestation of ill-humour probably the idea of stretching her limbs a little was decidedly pleasant in view of the small amount of exercise she had taken lately but the wisest plan was not thought of the minister's niece abigail williams one of the afflicted had looked upon the black mare with longing eyes and if she had made the experiment it probably would have been successful but they did not surmise that it might be the man's saddle and mode of riding to which the animal was entirely unaccustomed that were at the bottom of the difficulty and besides master paris wanted the mare for his own riding not for the women-folks of his household Detained by various matters it was not until quite late in the afternoon that the minister found time to try the experiment of riding the now unbewitched animal it was getting too near night to ride very far but he could at least try a short ride of a mile or so which perhaps would be better for the first attempt than a longer one so he came out to the horse block attended by his wife and abigail williams and a couple of parishioners who had been holding a consultation with him, but had stopped a moment to see him ride off upon the animal of which so many marvellous stories had been told. Yes, said the minister, as he came out to the horse block, in answer to a remark made by one of his visitors. I think I have been able, with the Lord's help, to redeem this animal and make her a useful member of society. You will observe that she now manifests none of that viciousness for which formerly she was so noted, the mayor did stand as composedly and peacefully as the most dignified minister could desire. You will remember that she has never been ridden by any one, man or woman, save her witch mistress Dulcibel, Jezebel, I think would be a more fitting name for her, considering her wicked doings. Here, Master Paris took the bridal rein from John Indian and threw his right leg over the animal as the foot and leg came down on that side and the stirrup gave her a smart crack the mare's ears which had been picked up went backwards and she began to prance around john indian still holding her by the mouth let her go john said the minister she does not like to be held and he tightened the rein john by his master's orders had put on a curbit in place of the easy snuffle to which the mare had always been accustomed and now as the minister tightened the rein and the chain of the curb began to press upon the pain of mouth of the sensitive creature she began to back and rear in a most excited fashion loose de rein cried john indian the minister did so but the animal now was fully alarmed and no loosening or tightening would avail much she was her old self again as bewitched as ever she reared she plunged she kicked she sidled and went through all the motions which on previous occasions she had always found eventually successful in riding her back of its undesired burden oh do get off the wild beast cried mistress paris in great alarm she is still bewitched cried abigail williams i see a spectre now tormenting her with a pitchfork oh samuel you will be killed do get off that crazy beast again cried weeping mistress paris get off yes thought the minister but how am i going to do it with the beast plunging and tearing in this fashion the animal evidently wanted him off and he was very anxious to get off but she would not hold still long enough for him to dismount peacefully Hold her while I dismount, he cried to John Indian. But when John Indian came near to take hold of the rein by her mouth, the mare snapped at him viciously with her teeth, and then wheeled around and flung out her heels at his head, in the most embarrassing manner. Finally, as with a new idea, the mare started down the lane at a quick gallop, turned to the left where a rivulet had been dammed up into a little pond, not more than two feet deep and plunged into the water splashing it up around her like a many fettered fountain by this time the minister being only human naturally was very angry and commenced with lashing her sides with his riding whip to get her into the lane again this made the fiery little creature perfectly desperate as she reared up and backwards until she came down plump into the water so that if the saddle girth had not broken and the saddle-girth come off and the minster with it she might have tumbled upon him and perhaps seriously hurt him but that it was no great damage was done and the bridle also breaking the mare spit out the bit of her mouth and went down the lane into a run into the road and thence on into the now fast gathering night no one could see whither mistress paris john indian and the rest were by this time at the side of the pond and ready to receive the chapfallen minister as he emerged with the saddle and the broken bridle from the water you are a sight samuel paris said his wife in that pleasant tone with which many wives are apt to receive their liege lords upon such unpleasant occasions do get into the house at once you will catch your death of cold i know and such a mess your clothes will be but i only wonder you are not killed trying to ride a mad witch's horse like that is the minister made no reply the situation transcended words and did not allow even of sympathy as his visitors evidently thought not at least until he got on some clean and dry clothes so they simply shook their heads and took their course homewards While the bedraggled and dripping master Paris made his way to the house wiping the water and mud from his face with his wife's handkerchief, and stopping to shake himself well before he entered the door, lest his wife said, He should spoil everything in his chamber. Abigail Williams, when she went to see Mistress Anne Putnam that night, had a marvellous tale to tell, which in the course of the next day went like wildfire through the village, growing still more and more marvellous as it went. Abigail had seen, as I have already said, the spectre of a witch goading the furious animal with a pitchfork, when the horse tore down the lane. It came to the little brook and of course could not cross it, for a witch cannot cross running water. Therefore in its new access of fury it sprang to the pond and threw off the minister. Abigail further declared that then, dashing down the lane, it came to the gate which shut it off from the road and took the gate in a flying leap but the animal never came down again it was getting quite dark then but she could still plainly see that a witch was upon its back belabouring it with a broomstick and she knew very well who that witch was it was the spectre of dulcibel burton for it had a scarlet bodice on just as dulcibel nearly always wore they too her mare and its rider went off sailing up into the night and disappeared behind a black cloud and Abigail was almost certain that just as they reached the cloud there was a low rumbling-like thunder. It was noticeable that every time Abigail told this story she remembered something that she had not before thought of, until in the course of a week or two there were very few stories in the Arabian Nights that could surpass it in marvellousness. As the mare had not returned to her old stable at Goodman Buckley's, it not be heard of in any other direction abigail's story began to commend itself even to the older and cooler heads of the village for if the elfish creature had not vanished into the black cloud to the sound of thunder where was she joseph putnam and his household however held a different view of the subject that they wisely kept their own counsel though they had many a slight joke among themselves at the credulity of their neighbours they knew that a little while after dark a strange noise had been heard at the barn and that one of the hired men going out had found dulcibel's horse without saddle or bridle pawing at the door of the stable for admission as this was a place the animal had been in the habit of coming to and where she was always well treated and even petted it was very natural that she should fly here from her persecutors as she doubtless considered them upon being told of it and not knowing what had occurred master joseph thought it most prudent not to put the animal into his stable but ordered the man to get half a peck of oats and some hay and take the mare to a small cow-pen in the woods in an out-of-the-way place where she might be for years and no one outside his own people may be the wiser for it the mare seemed quite docile and was easily led being in company with the oats of which a handful occasionally was given to her and so being watered at a stream near by and fed daily she was no doubt far more comfortable than she would have been in the black cloud that abigail williams was perfectly ready to swear she had seen her enter and where though there might be plenty of water oats doubtless were not left unmet with chapter twenty three Master Raymond had everything now prepared upon his part, and was awaiting a message from Captain Arledon to the effect that he had made a positive engagement with the Danish captain. He had called a serious cold on his return from Boston, and, turning the matter over in his mind, for it was a wise thing to try to get some good result out of even apparently evil occurrences, he had called in the village doctor but the good doctor's medicine did not seem to work as it ought to for one reason master raymond regularly emptied the doses out of the window thinking as he told master joseph to put them where they would do the most good and when the doctor came and found that neither purging nor vomiting had been produced these with bleeding and sweating being the great penises of that day as perhaps of this he was naturally astonished in a case where neither castor oil senna and manna nor large doses of globus salts would work a medical man was certainly justified in thinking that something must be wrong master raymond suggested whether an evil hand might not be upon him this was the common explanation at that time in salem and its neighbourhood the doctors and the druggists nowadays Miss a great deal in not having such an excuse made ready to their hands, it would account alike for adulthood, drugs, and ill-judged remedies. Master Raymond had the reputation of being rich, and the doctor had been mortified by the bad behaviour of his medicines, for if a patient be not cured, if he is at least vigorously handled, there seems to be something that can with propriety, be heavily charged for, but if a doctor does nothing neither cures nor anything else with what face can he bring in a weighty bill and so good dr griggs readily acquiesced in his patient's supposition that an evil hand was at work and even suggested that he should bring abigail williams or some other afflicted girl with him the next time he came to see with her sharpened eye who it was that was bewitching him but Master Raymond declined the offer, at least for the present. If the thing continued and grew worse, he might be able himself to see who it was. Why should he not be able to do it as Abigail Williams or any other of the afflicted circle? Of course the doctor was not able to answer why. There seemed to be no good reason why one set of afflicted people should have a monopoly of the accusing business of course this came very quickly from the doctor to mistress Anne putnam for he was a regular attendant of that lady whose nervous system indeed was in a fearful state by this time and she puzzled a good deal over it did master raymond intend to accuse anyone who was it or was it merely a hint thrown out that it was a game that two parties could play at but then she smiled she had the two ministers and through them all the other ministers of the colony the magistrates and judges and the advantages of the original position imitators always failed still she rather liked the young man's craft and boldness joseph putnam would never have thought of such a thing but still let him be beware how he attempted to thwart her plans he would soon find that she was the stronger joseph putnam then began to answer inquiries as to the health of his guest but he was not much better and thought somewhat of going up to boston for a further medical advice as the medicines given him so far did not seem to work as well as they should do could he bear the ride oh very well indeed his illness had not so far affected his strength much chapter twenty four our game is blocked, said Joseph Putnam to Master Raymond as he rode up one afternoon soon after and dismounted at the garden gate, where his guest was awaiting him, impatient to hear if anything had yet come from Captain Alden. What do you mean? said his guest. Mean? why, that yon she-wolf is too much for us. Captain Alden is arrested. What? Captain John Alden? Yes, Captain John Alden. On what charge? master joseph smiled grimly for witchcraft nonsense yes devilish nonsense but true as gospel nevertheless and he submits to it with all around him crazy he cannot help it besides as an officer of the government he must submit to the laws on whose complaint oh the she-wolves of course that delectable smooth smoking wife of my brother thomas how any man can love a catty creature like that beats me out i suppose she found out that i frequently went to see the captain when in boston i suppose so who could have informed her her master or the devil i suppose where is the captain to be examined oh here in salem where his accusers are it comes off to-morrow they lose no time you see well i would not have believed it possible whom will they attack next the governor i suppose replied master joseph serratically or you if she does i'll run my sword through her not as being a woman but as a foul fiend. i told her so let her dare to touch me or any one under this roof what did she say when you threatened her she put on an injured expression and said she could never believe anything wrong of her dear husband's family if all the spectres in the world told her so well i hope you are safe but as for me oh you are too you are within my gates to touch you is to touch me she fully realises that besides brother thomas is her abject tool in most things but some things even he would not allow yes captain john alden son of that john alden who was told by the pretty puritan maiden speak for yourself john when he went pleading the love suit of his friend captain miles standish john alden captain of the only vessel of war belonging to the colony a man of large property and occupying a place in the very front rank of boston society had been arrested for witchcraft what a state of insanity the religious delusion hath reached can be seen by this high-handed proceeding here again we come on to ground in which the details given in the old manuscript book are fully confirmed in every essential particular by existing public records mr upham whose admirable account of salem witchcraft has been of great aid to me in the preparation of this volume is evidently puzzled to account for captain alden's arrest he is not able to see how the gallant captain could have excited the ire of the afflicted circle he seems to have been entirely ignorant of this case of Darcy burton whose doubtless being one of the many cases in which the official records were purposely destroyed if he had known of this case he would have seen the connection between it and captain alden it also might have explained the continual allusions to the yellow bird in so many of the trials based possibly on dulcibel's canary which had been given to her by the captain and whose habit of kissing her lips with its little bill had appeared so mysterious and diabolical to the superstitious inhabitants of salem village master raymond's health as is not to be wondered at had improved sufficiently by the next day to allow of his accompanying joseph putnam to the village to attend captain alden's examination the meeting-house was even more crowded than usual such was the absorbing interest taken in the case owing to the captain's high standing in the province the veteran captain's own brief account of this matter which has come down to us does not go into many details and is valuable mainly as showing that he regarded it very much in the same light that is regarded now owing probably to the fact that while a church member in good standing he doubtless was a good deal better seaman than the church member for he says he was sent for by the magistrates of salem upon the accusation of a company of poor destructed or possessed creatures or witches and he speaks further of them as wenches who displayed their juggling tricks falling down crying out and staring in people's faces the worthy captain's account is however as i have said very brief and has the tone of one who had been a participant however unwillingly in a grossly shameful affair like disgraceful to the colony and to everybody concerned in it for some additional details i am indebted to the manuscript volume captain alden had not been arrested in boston he says himself in his statement that he was sent to salem by mr Stoughton, the deputy governor and chief justice of the special court that had condemned and executed bridget bishop and which was now about to meet again before the meeting of the magistrates master raymond had managed to have a few words with him in private and found that no arrangements with any skipper had yet been made the first negotiations had fallen through and there was no other foreign vessel at that time in port whose master possessed what captain alden considered the requisite trustworthiness and daring for he wanted a skipper that would show fight if he was pursued and overtaken not that any actual fighting would probably be necessary for a simple show of resistance would doubtless be all that was needed when I get back to Boston, I think I shall be able to arrange matters in the course of a week or two. What in Boston jail? queried Mr. Raymond. You do not suppose the magistrates will commit me on such a trumped-up nonsensical charge as this, said the stout old captain indignantly. Indeed, I do was the reply. Why, there is not a particle of truth in it. I never saw these girls. I never even heard of their being in existence oh that makes no difference The devil it doesn't said the old man hotly my readers must remember that he was a seaman here the sheriff came up and told the captain he was wanted chapter twenty five there was an additional magistrate sitting on this occasion master bartholomew gendney making three in all mistress Anne putnam the she-wolf as her young brother-in-law had called her, was not present among the accusers, leaving the part of the afflicted to be played by the other and younger members of the circle. There was another captain present, also a stranger, a Captain Hill, and he being also a tall man, perplexed some of the girls at first. One even pointed at him, until she was better informed in a whisper by a man who was holding her up and then she cried out that it was alden alden who was afflicting her at length one of the magistrates ordering captain alden to stand upon a chair there was no further trouble upon that point and the usual demonstrations began as the accused naturally looked upon the afflicted girls they went off into spasms shrieks and convulsions this was nearly always the first proceeding as it created a profound sympathy for them and was almost sufficient of itself to condemn the accused the tall man is pinching me oh he is choking me he is choking me do hold his hands he stabs me with his sword oh take it away from him such were the exclamations that came from the writhing and convulsed girls turn away his head and hold his hands cried squire hathorne take away his sword said squire Gendi. While well, the old captain drew red and wrathful at the babble around him and at the indignities to which he was subject captain Aldon, why do you torment these poor girls who never injured you torment them you see i am not touching them i do not even know them i never saw them before in my life cried the indignant old seaman see there is the little yellow bird kissing his lips cried abigail williams now it is whispering into his ear it is bringing him a message from the other witch dulcibel burton see see there it goes back again to her through the window so well was this done that probably half of the people present would have been willing to swear the next day that they actually saw the yellow bird as she described it ask him if he did not give her the yellow bird said lee herrick but probably he will lie about it "'Did you not give the witch Darcy Barburton a yellow bird, "'which is one of her familiars?' said Squire Hathorne sternly. "'I gave her a canary-bird that I brought from the West Indies, "'if that is what you mean,' replied the captain. "'But what harm was there in that?' "'I knew it! A yellow bird told me so when it came to pick out my eyes,' "'cried Mercy Lewis. Oh, there it is again!' "'And she struck wildly into the air before her, drive it away do drive it away someone here a young man pulled out his rapier and began thrusting at the invisible bird in a furious manner now it comes to me cried sarah churchill and then the other girls also cried out and began striking into the air before their faces till there was anew a perfect babble of cries shrieks and sympathizing voices master raymond amid all his indignation at such barefaced and wicked and yet successful impostor could hardly avoid smiling at the expression of the old seaman's face as he stood on the chair and fronted all this tempest of absurd and villainous accusation at first there had been a deep crimson glow of the hottest wrath upon the old seaman's cheeks and brow but now he seemed to have been shocked into a kind of stupor so unexpected and weighty were the charges against him and made with such vindictive fierceness and yet so utterly absurd while at the same time so impossible of being refuted he brought the yellow bird from Titubur's mother her spectre told me so cried abigail williams what do you say to that master alden said squire gandling that is a serious charge I never saw any Tituba or her mother," exclaimed the captain, again growing indignant. "Who then did you buy the witches familiar of?" asked Squire Hathorne. "I do not know. Some old Negro wench." Here the magistrates looked at each other sagely and nodded their wooden heads. It was a fateful admission. "You had better confess all," I give glory to God," said Squire Gendme strongly i trust i shall always be ready to give glory to god answered the old man stoutly but i do not see that it would glorify him to confess to a pack of lies you have known me for many years master Gendney, but did you ever know me to speak an untruth or seek to injure any innocent persons much less women and children squire gedney said that he had known the accused many years and had even been at sea with him and had always supposed him to be an honest man, but now he saw good cause to alter that judgment. "'Turn and look now again upon those afflicted persons,' concluded Squire Gedney. As the accused turned and again looked upon them, all of the afflicted fell down on the floor, as if he had struck them a heavy blow, moaning and crying out against him. "'I judge you by your works,' I believe you now to be a wicked man and a witch, said Squire Gedney in a very severe tone. Captain Alden turned then and looked directly at the magistrate for several moments. Why does not my look knock you down too? he said indignantly. If it hurts them so much, would it not hurt you a little? He wills it not to hurt you, cried Lee he Herrick. He is looking at you, but his spectre has its back toward you there was quite a roar of applauses for the crowded house at such an exposure of the old captain's trickery he was very cunning to be sure that the afflicted girls could see through his knavery make him touch the poor girls said the reverend master "Noise, for it was the accepted theory that by doing this the witch in spite of himself reabsorbed into his own body the devilish energy that had gone out of him and the afflicted were healed this was repeatedly done through the progress of these examinations and the after trials and was always found to be successful both as a cure of the sufferers and an undeniable proof that the person accused was really a witch in this case the afflicted girls were brought up to captain araldon one after the other and upon his being made to touch them with his hand they invariably drew a deep breath of relief and they felt entirely well again. You see, Captain Alden, said Squire Gedney, solemnly, none of the tests failed in your case. If you were only one proof, we might doubt, but as the scripture says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall the truth be established. If you were innocent, a just God will not allow you to be overcome in this manner. I know that there is a just God, and i know that i am entirely innocent replied the noble old seaman in a firm voice but it is not for an uninspired man like me to attempt to reconcile the mistress of his providence far better men than i am even prophets and apostles had been brought before magistrates and judges and their good names lied away and they condemned to the prison and the scaffold and the cross why then should i expect to fare better than they did all I can do, like job of old, is to maintain my integrity, even though Satan and all his imps be let loose for a time against me. Here, the Reverend Master Noyes rose excitedly, and said that the decisions of heathen courts and judges were one thing, and the decisions of godly magistrates, who were all members of the Church of the True God, and therefore inspired by his spirit, was a very different thing. He said it was simply but another proof of the guilt of the accused that he should compare himself with the apostles and the martyrs and these worshipful christians magistrates with heathen magistrates and judges hearing him talk in this ribald way he could no longer doubt the accusation brought against him for there was no surer proof of a man or woman having dealings with satan than to defame and culminate god's chosen people as Mr Noyes took his seat, the magistrates said they had heard sufficient and ordered the committal of the accused to Boston prison to await trial. I will give bail for Captain Arlington's appearance to the whole amount of my estate, said Joseph Putnam coming forward. A man of his age, who has served the colony in so many important positions, should be treated with some leniency. We are very sorry for the captain, answered Squire Gendney. But this is a capital offence, no bail can be taken. Thank you, Master Putnam, but I want no bail, said the old seaman proudly. If the colony of Massachusetts Bay, which my father helped to build up, and for which I have laboured so long and faithfully, chooses to requite my service in this ungrateful fashion, let it be so. The shame is on Massachusetts, not on me. End of chapters twenty two to twenty five